Is there anything more fun than watching fish blow up a topwater lure? I don't think so, and we're going to talk about all the details of topwater fishing on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks for tuning in, as always, to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I appreciate it very much, and of course, brought to you once again this week by the fine folks at Sportsman's Warehouse. Visit them at sportsmans.com or at any one of 136 stores nationwide. It's topwater season, guys. It's June, and even out here in the West, after the cold spring, we are have moved on to topwater season, and topwater season for me is probably the most fun time of year. Uh, as a fishing guide, it's an absolute blast. I get people uh, constantly laughing in the boat because of the topwater strikes, and it's just a really fun time to be an angler. On top of it being... Just the fact that we're in topwater season is fun in and of itself that fish are actively biting. And so you put those two things together, it's a really good scenario. We're in what heading into what I would consider the peak summer feeding season as all the fish have come off of their spawn seasons. And they'll just feed up all the rest of the summer and taking advantage of the nice warm days and uh, feeding their way all, all the way into fall. So it's the time of year where we can really go out and get a bunch of fish caught. And just to be... To, to make it the most possible fun, a topwater bait is the way to do it, in my opinion. And it's really a multi-species thing. Uh, obviously, when we start talking about bass fishing uh, or topwater fishing, it, immediately people gravitate to, to large and smallmouth bass, which is for sure the thing, uh, or a thing, I should say. And that's definitely probably the root of, of, of particularly this podcast, but overall. But also, there's a lot of other species that are happy to eat topwaters. And, uh, and they'll all bite them well this time of year as well. So things like wipers or white bass uh, or stripers, if you happen to be, you know, maybe Lake Powell, you're a western guy who goes to Lake Powell or anywhere else you've got stripers, uh, topwater baits, stripers love them. Uh, my opinion, they're highly underrated for trout. Um, topwaters for trout are, are, are very effective. It can be extremely effective at certain times. And a lot of people don't think about topwaters for trout fishing, but it, it can be very, very good. And, you know, because of the multi-species aspect and some of the other things about topwater fishing in general that I'll get into, they're just a fun thing to fish. It's not, the thing about topwaters is you, it's the one lure uh, sort of, I guess, sight fishing that you really get a chance to interact with the fish before you've got that fish hooked. Now, these days, uh, there's a fair number of guys doing that on, on forward-facing sonar, uh, you know, things like that, on live sonar, whatever you want to call it. I, uh, I run Lawrence's Active Target, which is their version of it. I've been testing some baits for Berkeley right now that are coming out on the market. Uh, they'll, be, they'll be introduced at ICAST this year in July, uh, but they'll be hitting the market in September of this year, but I started fishing them last year, and you get very interactive fishing with forward-facing sonar because you can see how the fish are responding to your lure in real time. This lure is built for that, and I'm not going to give you the details of it right now because I'm not allowed, but it's called the Switch, and it's a very unique lure, very much different than anything you've seen, and uh, and it's made to, to get you to interact with fish on forward-facing sonar. So, 
in that instance, I guess you get to interact with fish or maybe sight fishing, uh, you know, trout in a river or fish that you can see uh, sitting somewhere. But really, when it comes down to being interactive with fish, the topwater bait is, is the one that, that gets you the most interaction. Every time a fish bites, you're going to know it. There's no question about it. Uh, you can also use the topwater bait to gauge the mood of the fish very well because they'll, you know, they'll slap at a topwater and not get it. Uh, fairly commonly, but at least you can see what you're dealing with. You know what's going on and you can make some adjustments to fix it. So it's a really, uh, really fun way to fish in that regard. And another thing that's really fun about topwater fishing and why I'm such an advocate of it is it's not frustrating. And what I mean by that is you're not snagging lures. Unless you're just throwing them in trees or throwing them up on the bank, you're not going to snag stuff. And We've done lots of podcasts and hundreds of TV shows talking about accurate, you know, casting accuracy and line control. That's the only way you can mess up a topwater bait is to not be an accurate caster or not be in control of your line. Otherwise, topwater bait's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty easy to fish all the way around. And then the other thing about it is if you need to pause or stop, it's a, one of those baits that doesn't hurt anything. So if you lose track of a jig, let's say, it might sink and snag or sink into the weeds and make a mess or who knows what. Uh, Topwater bait's just going to sit out there. And that's a worthwhile thing because if you do have a backlash or something like that, the bait's just floating out there. It's not going to cause you any bigger problems, uh, you know, as far as that goes. Um, If you lose focus for a minute, you know, with a jig, it seems like I've caught myself on television a million times. You turn to look at the camera, and as soon as you do, you snag your jig. And uh, and that's because you lose track of your jig. So topwater keeps that out of this scenario. Also, most of the time, they're easy to cast. A lot of topwaters can be cast a really long way, and there's some version of a topwater bait to fish pretty much every scenario, from wide open water all the way to about as heavy a cover as you're ever going to legitimately fish, uh, even attempt to fish. So What I wanted to do, go over a little bit on this podcast, is which topwaters I think are the most fundamental and some some nuances of how we work them or how we rig them and how we work them. So there's a bunch of different kinds of topwaters, as I've already just alluded to, and the the most four-wheel drive of all of them would certainly be the rubber frog, the weedless frog that was invented for bass fishing. Uh, It's one of my absolute favorite things to throw. And a weedless frog can be thrown anywhere any fishing lure can be thrown. And that's a big statement because because of that, I can throw it anywhere I want. And I do throw it anywhere I want. A couple nuances of that. Um, first of all, break out the goat rope because that's the one you're going to need the heavy line on is that frog. And the reason is a, a twofold, really. One's just the pure tinsel strength. And that... Is, makes sense, right? If, if I use when I'm frogging, I'm no less than 50 pound braid. It's usually 50, 65, or 80 pound braid, and I like uh, X5 or Spiderwire Durabraid, either either Berkeley X5, uh, which is a five five uh, filament carrier, and uh, and then the other one is is uh, Spiderwire Super Braid. Both or uh, Durabraid, I should say. Both those are very very durable lines which is important. They don't mind abrasion nearly as much uh, and that kind of thing, plus the tensile strength. When you got 65-pound braid, uh, something's going to break before your line. It's going to be your reel, your rod, something. Your line's not likely to break with that. Uh, it's very difficult to break braid of that strength if you keep track of it make sure it's not frayed. Now, 
The other reason I like the big braid for frogs is uh, a conversation I had a long time ago with a guy named Dean Rojas, professional bass guy by the name of Dean Rojas, who is very famous for his uh, abilities with a weedless frog topwater bait. He fishes it a lot. He got famous for it. He designs his own uh, for a certain manufacturer. He does a good job with, uh, with weedless frogs and weedless frog fishing. He explained to me that the reason he likes the heavier braid, he, he's of the belief, and I am as well, that 50 pound is for sure heavy enough for most scenarios. You're not going to break the line. But 65 at 80 pound is more controllable. The line is bigger diameter and a little bit stiffer, and it's very controllable. So it doesn't blow around in the wind as much, So when, which is important when you're casting around you know, covers sticking up out of the water. So the heavier braid gives him controllability of the lure more than the pure tinsel strength. So he told me in the early days he would frog with 30 to 50 pound braid. These days he frogs with 50 to 80 pound braid, same as me, and, and I learned it from him, I should say. And the reason, again, is the controllability is the biggest thing. And, and when you're throwing around pencil reeds or, or stick-ups of some sort, having that line have a tendency to be as straight as possible and not blow around in the wind and to be stiff enough that you can steer your bait a bunch, uh, it really makes a difference. So that's the deal there. In no scenario am I throwing a weedless frog. There's no scenario where I'm throwing a weedless frog on anything but braided line. That is a black and white clear-cut answer. It's going to be done on a medium-heavy 7-foot to 7-foot-6 rod. Uh, I throw them on a Fantasista X in the in the 7-foot-3 and then uh, I like a very fast reel for frogging too because you want to get cranking on fish in a hurry. A lot of the time when you're frogging, fish is going to be in really nasty cover, slop or, or you know, some sort of flooded vegetation, and getting him out of that is not easy. So I like a very fast reel, uh, so I tend to go to the Revo Rocket for that casting reel. And then when, when a fish bites, it's a one or two second count. Make sure he's got the bait pulled under as big a hook set as you can muster and then straight to the reel and get to cranking because at that point, getting fish to bite a frog is easy. Getting them out of the cover that they're in a lot of times is not. So uh, that's one of my first things I'm going to always try to start throwing around a frog. As soon as the aquatic vegetation starts coming up, I'm throwing a frog, no doubt. Or as I'm dealing with it on my home lake right here, the lake is rising like crazy. And as it does that, I mean, it's coming up, for, for people that aren't used to fishing in the West, my, my lake will come up 60 vertical feet this year. And that's a lot. If you're from Minnesota, that's ridiculous. And uh, 60 vertical feet's a bunch. It floods a lot of terrestrial vegetation when it does that. And fish will get in that terrestrial vegetation quickly. That stuff is very hard on fishing line, very hard to fish through and around, but you can do it with a weedless frog and the big braid. So that's a, a key scenario for me. Uh, all the way around. After the frog, the next most popular one or most common one for me uh, is without question a popper. I throw a Berkeley bullet pop a lot and, and I throw it in any one of the three sizes, 60, 70, or 80. Um, that depends on the scenario, how windy it is, things like that. But if I'm picking one, I'm picking the 70. Um, for just general purpose. And if I can pick two, then I'm picking the 60 and the 80 because the 60 is an excellent bait when it's when I want to be more subtle. It's a little bit smaller, a little bit easier for smallmouth to, to really pounce on, and it's a fantastic little bait. The key to the popper 
is just in his name. It's a popper. It's You want it to make some sort of noise or bloop or spit forward or something when you pop on the line. So it starts and stops with slack line. It doesn't start with tight line. Your retrieve, when you throw the bait out, you've got to give it a little bit of slack using the rod tip, tip down to just barely bloop on the bait and make it pop. And there's a, it's got a concave face to it, which will make resistance in the water. And it will also make that thing throw water out in front of itself when you pop it. And very, very effective bait. And when do I choose a popper over some of the other topwater baits? First of all, for me, a, pop, a popper is generally a target-specific topwater bait. So if I'm just working over big flats or something like that, that's not my that's not my scenario. When I want to work a popper or when I feel like a topper is at its best, a popper is when I have uh, either visible cover to fish around or small strike zones to fish around is a key one for me. Um, but basically it's not a bait I'm trying to cover a lot of water with. It's very common for me to throw a popper work it 8 or 10 or 12 feet and then pick it up and rethrow it. Don't even work the whole retrieve because it's a relatively slow retrieve. Now, anyone that's worked poppers very much uh, knows you can mix up their retrieve a ton. I fully get it. Uh, but for the sake of this podcast, I'm trying to get you to just do the basic popping. Bloop, 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 that kind of thing. And I know I'm making stupid sound effects, but it gives you the idea of how the bait should be moving forward. Now, you can walk the dog with it and some other stuff, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But again, for the sake of this podcast, just make the bait bloop and then sit there. How long it sits there is the magic question. Uh, you know, there, I've, we've all heard the old saying, my grandpa told me you throw it out there and you don't twitch it until the rings are gone. Yeah, that's a good possibility. Great way to get, you know, get bites, from, particularly from lazy fish. Also an excellent way to get bites from post-spawners because you just let it hang right over the areas where they're hanging out and, and move it very little. Or I will move it just enough to make it make ripples. In other words, not even popping the bait, just making it wiggle right there. Most poppers come with some sort of a, a feathered treble on them, and feathered treble is usually your indication that a bait is also designed to get bit sitting still. That's why they put the feathered treble on the back, is to give it some motion when it's sitting still. And uh, a popper is quite often bit sitting still or very very close to still or after just having moved. And so a couple scenarios where I really like poppers, uh, and again, they're multi-species, more so than the rubber frog. The rubber frog is really more of a pure uh, bass bait. The popper is very much a multi-species bait, from trout to wipers to white bass to, to large and smallmouth. For me, one of my biggest scenarios to work a popper is around docks or, uh, or around shade in general. When I have narrow shade lines, can, popper can be absolutely deadly. We have some really steep, bluffy banks that I fish in a lot of places, and they'll create a shade line on the water that might only be a couple of feet wide. Perfect for a popper. Throw it in there, work that shade line. As soon as the bait gets out into the open, you know, in the sun, pop it a couple more times and pick it up and rethrow it. That's a very good scenario for a popper. But what it comes down to is a popper is, for me, a small strike zone or a small uh, area to work uh, the bait in the first place. Now, the next style of bait, which is probably the trickiest to work, to be honest with you, um, but also one of the most effective, is some sort of a walking bait. And walking bait basically is designed to zigzag back and forth on the surface and leave a V-wake as you retrieve it. And what makes it zigzag back and forth is the amount of slack line you give it. So when it 
it's very similar to the popper in that it needs to start and stop with slack line. And with the walker, it usually comes down to being a very rhythmic retrieve. So it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth as you keep working the bait. Yes, you can pause it or you can change it up or speed it up or whatever. But again, for the sake of this podcast, we're going to keep it simple and say just keep the bait walking back and forth. It's why it's called a walking bait. Get it walking back and forth and keep it moving and you can cover a bunch of water with it. And it's a rhythm thing between your rod tip and your retrieve hand to get that to happen. And as with basically every topwater bait, they're worked with the rod tip down. Your rod tip is not up when you're working on a on a topwater bait because the bait will want to jump instead of grabbing the surface film of the water and doing what it's supposed to do. So you're going to be tipped down. You're going to be a combination of rod tip action and slack line control to make that bait walk back and forth, back and forth. And there's videos of it on, on our um, YouTube channel if you would like to see it. But a walking bait <clears throat> for me is an excellent draw. It's an excellent drawing bait for drawing bites and especially from big fish. I feel like that a walking bait of all the topwaters, a walking bait more often than not will produce the biggest fish of all of them. Now, poppers get lots of bites. All all of them we're talking about get lots of bites, but for whatever reason, when I want a true giant, a, a walking bait can be an excellent call. Walking baits are at their best when the water is relatively slick. We don't want... Uh, we don't want a bunch of wave action if we're going to work a walking bait. And, uh, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, so stay with that wave action thing. But for the sake of the walking bait, I want a, a, not too much wind on the water because it's that V-wake that the bait gives off when it's working correctly that is a big part of its drawing power. And that goes away when the wind's blowing like crazy. Plus, it doesn't have any resistance necessarily in the water, in the water column like does a popper. So if, you, if the water's all slopping around, sloshy, and the wind's blowing, it's hard to make the thing work right at all. So I won't throw it in the, in the heavy wind or heavy wave action, but that's about the only limitation. One thing about a walking bait is it has a tremendous amount of drawing power from deep water if it's very slick. So if the, if the lake's slicked off, uh, even in muddy water, fish can find that thing from a ways. And it's very common for me to work walking baits over the top of very deep water. And I mean like very deep water. Like I might very well, I might this afternoon be throwing a top water, a walking bait over 100 feet of water getting uh, bass, post-pond bass to come up and get it. And that sounds counterintuitive, but it's almost easier to draw them to the surface than it is to try to take something down to them, especially when you don't know exactly in the water column where they are. And they're moving up and down the water column 20 plus vertical feet, which can make them be difficult to keep track of on your forward-facing sonar. So uh, it becomes more of a, hey, let's just get a bait out here that has a big profile and gives off a big V-wake and then just keep it moving over deep water and draw fish up. And again, some of my biggest fish every year bite that. Uh, I want to point out I caught two huge walleyes last year fishing in 100 plus feet of water with a walking bait. So walleyes will eat it stripers wipers the bass uh i don't do as well with trout as far as that goes but we they definitely will i usually use a very small walking bait for them uh but yes it's a fantastic multi-species bait also i haven't mentioned it but uh but snook and redfish and sea trout and all of them like topwaters as well the inshore stuff so everything i'm saying in this podcast also applies to you if you're an inshore guy and say you know western florida or louisiana or something like that all of that same thing will apply. The walking bait for me um, 
if I'm in a tournament or I'm hunting big ones, it's one of the baits I'm going to have tied on all the time. There's a few different walkers out there that I fish uh, for smallmouth without question or on very slick days. That's the other, other choice. So anytime I'm smallmouth fishing or even if I'm largemouth or whatever fishing and it's very slick out, I love the Berkeley Driftwalker, and the Driftwalker is about as subtle of a walking bait as you can get. It rides very low in the surface film. Um, it's got a relatively thin and long profile. It's got a skinny body and long. It's longer than, say, a Zara Spook that you might be familiar with, uh, or the, the aspect ratio is different. It's, it's less diameter for a given length. It's a very subtle walking bait, and it absolutely pays the bills. I'm not sure that I necessarily get a lot more bites from smallmouth with it, but I hook a lot more of them. I get more committed bites, and if I throw something bulkier like a jaywalker, I might still get the bites, but I don't have the hookup ratio with smallmouth. Now, conversely, for largemouth, I'd rather throw the jaywalker. It's a little bit bigger, bulkier bait. It's a little bit easier to throw on heavier tackle, and... It has a very distinct signature when you start walking that thing back and forth. And so the Jaywalker is a really good bait uh, for a largemouth scenario. Uh, but I like the Driftwalker for smallmouth or anytime it's extremely slick out, like really slick. Like first thing in the morning, 6 a.m., not a puff of wind. That Driftwalker sliding across the surface is absolutely uh, beautiful to an angler and uh, deadly on fish. So that's a really fun one. Um, poppers and walkers for me are pretty much always worked on braided line as well. Um, the only scenario that I might not work them on braided line, and, I, and, and this is a scenario that I run into a fair bit, if I'm fishing really close range, uh, then I'll put them on monofilament, at which point it's Trilene XT monofilament. And the reason is uh, I get a little bit more shock absorption from that. And when you've got, if you've got braided line, let's say you've got your, your walking bait and you've got an unbraided line and you're only making 15 foot casts, 20 foot casts, fishing around cover, you don't have a lot of shock absorber between you and the fish and you don't need a big hook set. They've got treble hooks hanging off the bottom of them. So you basically you can all but wind into fish. Uh, you don't need a monster hook set, but you need some shock absorption one way or the other. And I like the, the monofilament for that. Nylon monofilament will float and uh, makes a good choice. In no case am I working a topwater of any kind ever on fluorocarbon. It doesn't happen. Fluorocarbon sinks and will mess up the action of the bait. So the next one after the walker um, is for sure going to be the Chapo style bait. And Chapo, I mean, people call them ploppers, whopper ploppers, top raiders. There's a bunch of different uh, genres, basically. Uh, Berkeley makes their version of the Chapo, and uh, I've been around that bait since they first started working on it. I had some of the pre-production prototypes. Um, they basically took all of the... I won't say mistakes, but design flaws built into all of the previous generations. They've been around since the 60s. Everybody's done some sort of a plopper-style bait over the years. Berkeley basically refined them and, and took it to the highest uh, level in terms of durability and balance and uh, ability to work at various speeds without rolling and all the different things. But basically, when we're talking about a, a chopper or a plopper-style bait, it has an asymmetrical uh, rotor on it. So... If you're familiar with a buzz bait, which we'll talk about here in a quick second, but it, it basically got a picture of the propeller on your boat with two of the three fins broken off. Now it only has one fin, so now it's asymmetrical and it makes a very distinct noise because of that. 
the body's round, it wants to roll one way while the tail rolls the other way. Uh, Dan Spangler at Berkeley counterbalanced it so it does not roll, so there's just the tail that rolls. And it makes a great noise, uh, and it is a fantastic drawing bait. And they're available from, I think, 75 millimeters all the way up to 120 millimeters. I find that the 75, 90, and the 105 are the most consistent for me. Uh, the bigger ones are less consistent. That little 75 Chapo, if you're a smallmouth guy, that size 75 Chapo needs to be in your arsenal. And there aren't very many baits I say that about, but... You, from basically now on, from post-spawn on, all the rest of the summer, I'll be able to, to run that bait around and catch fish. And it kind of, it's easier to work by far than a walking bait. I just throw it out and wind it, point the rod slightly at an angle to it, and then wind it in. It's very, very easy to work. Uh, I hinted at a buzz bait a minute ago. Uh, a buzz bait's got excellent drawing power as well for the same reason. It's got a very, very noisy blade that makes a lot of noise, a lot of commotion when you're retrieving it on the surface. The negative of a buzz bait is that it sinks like a rock. So you got to be Johnny on the spot. When that, when that bait hits the water, you better go. You better start winding because if it gets two feet underwater before you start winding it, you'll lose half your retrieve even getting it back to the surface. The other thing about it is that um, it has a lower hookup percentage because it has a single hook sticking off the back. And in a lot of cases, a buzz bait is just not a high hookup percentage bait. The advantage of the buzz bait is you can throw it around any kind of cover because it only has that single hook. And so it's, it's the most weedless, but it's also the hardest to hook with. And the other thing, the last thing about it that's a disadvantage compared to a plopper style bait with a buzz bait because both of them can work at about the same speed but i can stop the plopper style bait at any point i want and pause it so i can do a start and stop retrieve if i want or something like that and therefore trigger fish it gives me more controllability with the bait than i have with a buzz bait but it's much faster and less fatiguing to work than a walking bait and infinitely faster than a uh, popper style bait. So these days, more and more, and when I say these days, I would say the last five or six years, I have gotten where I'm really leaning on the Chapo style baits a lot, or plopper styles. And it comes down to typically the, the Chapo 75 or 90 is my most consistent. The other reason I'm so dependent on them these days in my angling, particularly my guiding, is I have a lot of very average clients. So in other words, guys that fish, but they don't fish at a really high level. That's why they pay somebody to take them out in a fancy boat and go catch a bunch of fish for the day. Well, I can hand anybody that's ever fished, it could be their first day, and they can have no problem retrieving a Chapo-style bait. Throw it out, it floats on the surface. If they backlash the reel, it's not a problem. It just sits there and floats on the surface. So... They, uh, you know, it's a very, very easy bait from that regard. It's very forgiving to fish. The other thing is you can, like I said, do the stop and start thing. So I can really mess with post-spawn fish if I want, fish that are being nippy. You know, I can make the bait stop. I can give it some time to pause. I can pick it back up and make it go faster. It's just, a, it's totally up to me. And nothing bad happens when you pause it, unlike, unlike say, a buzz bait. So the Chapo style bait for me is at its best on flatter banks. Uh, it works great down cover lines or, or down any sort of transition lines. And again, it's got fantastic drawing power. You want to have yourself a whole bunch of grins, take the big Chapo, the 120 millimeter Chapo, and take it to whatever lake you have that has pike in it. And, uh, and you, you will just absolutely get murdered on it. I took one of them up to Alaska where we knew we would be throwing it in front of 50 inch pike. 
And I took the biggest one, only the river we were on requires that you have only one hook. You can't have treble hooks uh, on the bait. You can have only one single hook. So I had to reweight the bait slightly to make it run with a single hook. And with a single hook, my, my hookup ratio dropped a tremendous amount. But it didn't even matter because it was getting hit three or four times per cast. And I mean, the whole boat, everybody in the boat's just laughing like crazy because these pike are just nuking this thing and can't get hooked. So it's just a really fun bait. It's definitely one I recommend everybody try. And lastly, I'm getting to the end of my podcast here. One of the best ways to get a youngster, once he can cast just a little bit, get him the little chopo and let him throw it in a bass pond around because, again, he can throw it out and wind it in. He can see the bait. He's going to know when the fish bites it, uh, and the fish are going to bite it. And, he, you know, again, if he has tangles or props, the bait just floats out there. It's a very, very good way to get a kid going, and it's just much more fun to fish because they can see it. They're not sitting there waiting for a bobber. They get to keep casting over and over again, and they can see what happens when the fish bite it. And you want to talk about getting a kid excited, get it – Give a 10-year-old a size 75 chapo around a bunch of post-spawn smallmouth, and they are going to have a good time. It's going to get bit a lot, and it's really fun. It's really easy for them to do. So it's a bait that I highly recommend you get good at and uh, and have in your tackle box one way or the other. When it comes to the chapo-style bait, um, for me, it could go on braid, and it could go on... Uh, monofilament depends on how long my casts are. That's really the only thing it's going to come down to. If I'm making, if I want to make big long throws and cover a ton of water, I'm going to put it on like 30 pound braid. I'm going to throw it on it. Depending on the size of the chapo, it's going to be a medium heavy, probably a medium heavy rod or or potentially a heavy rod if I'm on the 120. And uh, and I'm just going to wind it back. And if I'm working it closer, doing short roll casts around cover, I have the same thing. I'll probably move it to monofilament, but it's not as critical. The bait is continuously moving. It's very easy to hook fish with. It's just a really fun bait all the way around. Now, of course, there's other kinds of topwaters and lots of other stuff. But if you've got a handle on a popper, a walker, and a plopper style bait... And then also a weedless frog. If you're particularly if you're a largemouth guy, you really have to be good at weedless frogs. Uh, that's that's those are the only ones you really have to have, in my opinion. The I'll, I'll mention color real quick. When people have asked, do, do color does color really matter with a topwater bait? I get that fairly commonly. Well, the bottom's white. What matter? What's matter at the top? Well, if you watch the bait in the water, it actually reflects off the surface film, and because it reflects off the surface film. Um, the fish looking up at the bait gives a very clear look at the bottom of the or the top of the bait as it reflects off the bottom of the surface film. And so you put that thing in a fish tank and look at it from underneath, every color on it sticks out like a sore thumb. I've done that, I've taken photos to prove it. So that color color does matter. For me, most of my my topwater baits are either white, black, or chrome and the only other one i really vary much from that on is sometimes i like chartreuse right around the post spawn for smallmouth for some reason they really like that chartreuse on the post spawn so i'll fish a very bright chartreuse popper around the post spawn but otherwise it's either white black or chrome and when i say white it's actually a bone color uh, or something very close to that and a black is just a really dark color one way or the other so uh realistically you can keep it simple with that i carry all my top waters in two total boxes and uh and we catch lots of fish with them so go check out our youtube video i'd appreciate that our youtube channel i'd appreciate that very much it's that fishful thinker uh mash that subscribe button while you're there it's a labor of love we're putting a lot of effort into that we're over two million views now and uh hoping you guys will 
we'll uh, continue to check out what we've got there. It's all education all the time, including some top water stuff. So also you can join the conversation with us at Facebook or Instagram at Fishful Thinker. We would appreciate that. And if you're interested in booking a guide trip, you can do that at fishfulthinker.com. So get your top waters out, get your grins going, go catch some fish, have a good time. It's June. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast. Mm-hmm.